This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3860 for Friday, the 19th of May, 2023. Today's show is entitled Civilization 2. It is hosted by Avukad and is about 15 minutes long. It carries a clean flag. The summary is the game I spent the most time on Civilization 2. Hello, this is Ahuka welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode in the series on gaming that I have started. And uh, in this, I want to take us to the next version of Civ, which is referred to as Civilization II. Now, the story behind this one, in the mid-90s, DOS was already becoming pretty ancient. And Civilization had been extremely successful. So a new version was created to take the franchise forward, um, and that was in 1996. Civilization II was designed to run on Windows 95, so it can take advantage of more resources, making for improvements in gameplay and in appearance. Also, a new lead developer made his appearance, a fellow named Brian Reynolds. Now... Although Sid Meier's name is plastered all over the games his company makes, the fact is that it has a lot more to do with being a marketable, marketable brand than a statement of authorship. So don't think of these like a series of books that have a single author. Think of them more like a TV series like Doctor Who, where the actors, writers, directors, and producers change continually. Sid was the lead developer for the very first version of Civilization. But since then, he has simply maintained some oversight without being involved in the nitty-gritty of producing the games. Each iteration of Civ has brought in a new lead developer. Now, Brian Reynolds was a developer at Microprose, the original studio that Sid Meier's helped found with Bill Steely, and had worked on previous titles there, such as Sid Meier's Colonization. Following his work on Civ 2, he was also the lead designer on Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, which we will discuss. Um, he left the company to become the CEO of Big Huge Games, where he created uh, a game called Rise of Nations. So I'd say he's pretty successful. Now, on paper, Civ 2 is not all that different from the original Civilization, and, and yet it hooked me badly. I spent so many hours playing Civ 2 that I'll never get back, but I had fun along the way, and I still enjoy playing it 25 years later. Uh, In in true story, um, it it will no longer, the last version of Windows that it would run on was Windows XP. Uh, Well, um, I, I had a copy and I no longer had Windows XP. What was I going to do? My wife had an old laptop that had Windows XP, and I've kept the laptop. Um, Now, actually, I could play it on my regular computer now because it's in um, the Civilization Chronicles, but I still kept the laptop because, you know, it's something I can take with me. Anyway, uh, Sid Meier's says that 
he has a rule for new versions of Civ, which is one-third should stay the same. One-third should simply refine what was there before, and one-third should be new things. Now, what are some of the things he said will never change? First, Civ will always be turn-based. Now, interestingly, the very first version Civ wrote was real-time, but he said it never really worked right until he changed it to turn-based. And all subsequent versions of Civ have kept the turn-based feature. Um, In fact, the phrase, one more turn, has become a featured part of the marketing. Now, back when I played it in my younger days, I often witnessed the sun rising as a result. Even now, I might think I will stop after this turn and make dinner, then realize 45 minutes later, I still haven't stopped. Uh, Multiple paths to victory. Now, in early versions, there were only two paths. It was either a science victory by landing your starship on Alpha Centauri with colonists, or conquer everyone. Um, So, Civ 2 maintains that. When we get into further versions of Civ, and we're going to talk about all of them, um, we start seeing other ways to get to victory. And that's part of the development. Um, another thing, global warming slash pollution slash climate change. This shows up in every game, though the mechanics might be different. But there's something in there that it just says, you know, you can't just produce, 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 and not think about the consequences. Uh, Civ will always have a tech tree. And every version of Civ has a tech tree. You must navigate to research technologies and to make advancement. Um, Now, some of the changes were the refinements. Um, A few items got small changes, like the pyramids, which is an ancient wonder. Now giving you a free granary in every city, or the legion unit getting stronger, but also a little more expensive. A new difficulty was at, uh, difficulty level was added, the deity level, which made for even more of a challenge for the player. The number of civs in the game increased from 14 to 21, and the number of wonders increased from 21 to 28. Uh, an interesting addition was the introduction of a new government called Fundamentalism which could be pretty powerful for a military victory, but less useful for a science victory. And another new introduction was scenarios that came included with the game, one for Rome and another for World War II. Now, Civ I had diplomats, but Civ II added spies. And a new metric for reputation meant that your past actions would influence how other Civs would interact with you. In fact, the diplomacy aspect in general was beefed up deliberately to make peaceful strategies more successful, including making alliances. And if you were at peace with a neighbor, they could demand that you withdraw your units from their territory. But if war was in the cards, that was improved as well. 
Units now had hit points, which made combat more tactically interesting, and pretty much eliminated the rare, but possible in Civ, uh, event of a spearman defeating a battleship. And this made the era the unit was from more important as well. In the early game, a phalanx was a great defensive unit for your game, but you needed to upgrade your military as time went on, going to pikemen for defense in the medieval era, Uh, and on to mechanized infantry in the modern era. But the most noticeable change was in the graphics. Instead of DOS graphics, you had something a little easier on the eyes. The top-down flat view of Civ 1 was replaced with a kind of a three-dimensional isometric view, and all of the units got new graphics. The Wonders all got movies explaining their significance, and a new High Council was created to provide advice to the player, although the advice was mostly of use to newer players. After a while, I just ignored its existence. On the High Council, you have various advisors who are actors filmed in costumes giving you advice in their area. There's a science advisor, a military advisor, an economics advisor, a diplomacy advisor, and a happiness advisor. Now, the last requires a little explanation, In Civ, keeping your citizens happy matters, since if they get unhappy, they can revolt and bring down your empire. This is one of the things that continues to be true through following versions of Civ, even though the mechanics of it might change. Now, the thing about the council, basically, your science advisor is always going to tell you you need to spend more on science. Your military advisor is always going to tell you you need to build more units, and so on. So... You know, after a while, it really doesn't make any sense to pay attention to them unless you enjoy watching the movies. Uh, The biggest advance came from the scenarios. This was the start of the modding community around this game, as players could create their own scenarios and share them around. Now, modding has only increased in popularity and is actively encouraged by the developers since it only increases interest in the game. And in fact... Serious modding really takes off with Civ Four, which we'll, we'll talk about sometime later. Now, expansions. Um, these days, when a game is popular, developers will release what is referred to as DLC. In other words, downloadable content as expansions, and they can be free or be sold as the developer wishes. Uh, But back when Civ 2 was released, we didn't have Steam, uh, we didn't have a developed internet, so expansions came in the form of CDs available for purchase. And Civ 2 had a number of these. Civ 2 Scenarios, Conflicts in Civilization. This had 20 added scenarios, 12 of which were created by the developers at Micropose, and 8 by fans of the game. And it's shipped with an enhanced macro language for building scenarios. Civ 2 Fantastic Worlds. Now, this one had 19 additional scenarios, of which 11 were by developers and 8 by fans of the game. Civ 2 Multiplayer Gold Edition, usually abbreviated MGE. Now, this added multiplayer, something that Civ never had before. But it had some problems, and I never really cared to play against human players. My gaming was when I happened to have some free time to spend, and trying to coordinate with other players made no sense for me, so I never bought it. Uh, 
Civ 2, Test of Time. Now, I played this a lot. At least as much, possibly more than the original Civ 2. The main thing this did was expand the game by adding Alpha Centauri. In Civ, you always had the option of a science victory by being the first to land your colonists on Alpha Centauri. In this expansion, landing on Alpha Centauri did not end the game. It was an alien race on the planet, and it competed with other civs all through the game. You could even play as the alien race, although it was never as interesting since you had no other civs to interact with until very late in the game when one or more of the Earth civs would land. It also introduced the feature of multiple maps, since you had two plans to keep track of, and there were ways when you developed the technology to move back and forth between the maps slash planets. There were some other minor changes in uh, graphics and such, but in most respects, it was Civ 2. It also shipped with a couple of scenarios that took advantage of the multiple maps capability, a fantasy scenario called The World of Midgard, and a science fiction scenario called The Universe of Lalande 21185. Um, Gameplay. Once you've learned the relatively minor differences between Civ and Civ 2, the gameplay is really just the same. You again start out as a band of wandering nomads in 4000 BC. You settle down and found your first city. You build military units, buildings, and more settlers. Settlers are still the ones to create roads, irrigation, and mines. You still research technologies. You still try to win by either a science victory, i.e. landing on Alpha Centauri, or a military victory, i.e. wiping out everyone else. Uh, While it's out of print, you can possibly find the discs at places like eBay, but you have other options. Steam, unfortunately, does not have Civ 2, nor does good old games. Which is too bad. Those are two of my favorite spots for these things. But you have other options. Play Classic Games has both Civ 2 and the two expansions, Scenarios and Fantastic Worlds, so you can play them online that way. Unfortunately, they do not have Test of Time. Uh, MyAbandonware.com, on the other hand, does have Test of Time and Multiplayer Gold Edition. Then I found a site, there's a link in the show notes for this, where some enterprising person has packaged up the game for download so you can run it on your computer pretty easily. And I've tested it on Windows 10 and it works. Now, the original Civ 2 won't run on Windows 10. And the the problem is that they they use some uh, funky um, video drivers that you needed way back in the day, but which you don't need now, but the game won't run without them, and they won't install on modern versions of Windows. So, like I mentioned last time, I uh, I have an old laptop that has uh, Windows XP around, so I can play it when I want to. Um, and I'll keep that old laptop, because when I'm on the road, online games and Steam are not convenient, but I can play my games using my CDs on this laptop. Uh, One tip is that Civ and Civ 2 play a lot more easily using the number pad to move units around. And since my laptop does not have a number pad, I bought a USB number pad that plugs into it and gives me that capability. So, I've got a lot of links in the show notes that are going to help you to uh, 
look into this a little bit more. But for now, this is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio, signing off and encouraging you to support free software. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, you click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.